This is WWVUFM Morgantown, and you are listening to Say Something Nice. This is the weekly, in air quotes, music discussion show on U92 The Moose, uh, where Griffin and Anthony, that is me, recommend each other an album that the other has not heard, and then we try and say something nice. Um, we have two albums this week, as usual. I'll let Griffin go ahead and just like throw out what he recommended me. Yeah, I recommended uh, my dear friend Anthony the album Tallahassee by the Mountain Goats. And the album that we're going to discuss first is what I recommended Griffin, uh, which is the album Crumbling by Mid-Air Thief. Uh, I don't know too much about Mid-Air Thief. Griffin and I were just talking about this because they're Korean and the American internet does not have very much information on Korean artists that are not K-pop. But Midair Thief started in around 2012. They're kind of like a Folktronica outfit, even though it's just one guy. Um, Gone through a couple of name changes, has gotten a good bit of exposure over in Korea, has been nominated for a couple Korean music awards. This album actually won uh, the Best Dance and Electronic album at the Korean Music Awards last year. Um, But he uh, just started getting some recognition whenever this was released last year, mainly through the Reach Your Music click, uh, as far as I'm aware. Um, That was where most of the recognition came from. But this album really kind of took off as just like a real happy sounding, feel good, bubbly, interestingly textured album. Uh, but Griffin, I would like to know what you thought of this. Um, I really, I really did enjoy it. Uh, there was after uh, probably about three or four minutes into the first track, in my notes, I just have written, "Oh, this will be a joy to listen to," <laughs> uh, because um, up until then, like the past couple of days, I've been listening to a lot of uh, not bubbly fun music. I, I was listening to a lot of Radiohead this morning and, mm. uh, microphones and Boney Bear last night. So I was, in, <laughs> I was in a different headspace and it was interesting, um, because when this album gets started, I didn't realize it was a folktronica act. Um, it just said electronic on the, uh, Apple music genre listing. Um, and it starts out very, very folksy. And I was like, have I been duped? What is happening? And then it it flows, it transitions so succinctly into kind of a uh, dance, dancier, dance pop. I, I hesitate to use the word dance pop, but uh, I don't know what the Korean um, sort of musical landscape looks like generally. So this might be what dance pop just kind of generally sounds like uh, over there. Um, it is a lot more like outwardly synthetic and a little... Um, sort of atonal, uh, more so than we would like associate dance pop with here, but it becomes something that you can like bob along with and, and you know, tap your foot to, should you desire, um, very quickly and very, uh, very succinctly. And it balances that throughout most of the record. Um, before I get too much into more, Anthony, I was gonna ask, how did you discover this album? Was it through Rate Your Music? Um, no. So this album was in rotation, uh, Mm. but don't ask me how or why. I just never played it. Like, I hadn't heard a single song off this album. And then I was going through 
something. It was like, it might have been like uh, the YouTuber Deep Cuts. It might have been somewhere in his like best of the decade list or something. And I was like, oh, this looks kind of interesting. So I didn't find it until like early this year. It was like January or something. And I heard it. And then I just listened to it like 10 times throughout the week and then immediately purchased it. Uh, so it now very happily sits in my record collection. But I don't honestly, I don't remember how I found it, but I remember being really mad about the fact that like, quote, no one had told me about this. Uh, and I like talked to Victor about it. And I was like, hey, why did no one tell me about this? And he was like, dude, it was literally in rotation. Victor was uh, previously, <laughs> for, for, the, for those <laughs> listeners at home, the uh, assistant program director here at the station. Uh, a dear, dear colleague. Dear friend, yes. Dear friend, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I could definitely see this album being someone's best of the decade. I really do like Deep Cuts also. Shout out to, to the YouTuber Deep Cuts. Shout out Oliver. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's a very unique album i've not heard anything that quite sounds like it this decade and i've listened to a fair share of, of folktronica <laughs> stuff between something like uh bon Iver's 22 a million or um oh there was an album that came out earlier this year that that i enjoyed a decent amount it escapes me now but uh, in any case it was just something that flew completely by me and something that uh once i got on board listening to it after after your suggestion here i i don't know if it would, if i would call it one of my favorites of the last decade but it is a very unique listen even in the not uncrowded genre that it that it kind of <laughs> takes up um and i think that's also due to its um use of the sounds of like uh city pop which is mm-hmm. a uh, sort of um popular eastern genre that i'm not super familiar with, but based on what I heard, there are a couple tracks on here that, that heavily reminded me of, of that uh, styling, which is just um, sort of combinations. It, it grew to prominence uh, here, I think, via like boards like Rate Your Music and everything too in the last couple of years. But uh, I think it's been a genre over in different parts of Asia since like the 80s. It just incorporates different elements of soft rock and r&b and and all kinds of very hyper melodic very pleasant uh music genres and i think like tracks on here like uh hang on let me pull up the track list here um the third track on this record uh gamion gamion duet deut that (laughs) i thought it was going to be english and then it wasn't i don't think uh in any case but a, a track like that to me rung very much uh, true to that kind of sound. There's like a lot of really lovely harmonies on, on that song. Um, but it's, it's that sound mixed with this sort of, um, at points, vaguely experimental electronic. Like I said earlier, I think they, um, that uh, this artist mixes a lot of um, atonal uh, embellishments into this hyper melodic sound that make it very interesting to me with some like just really well done folk and classical stuff that uh, usually in a folktronic album I kind of expect the folk to kind of go by the wayside a bit um, 
in in search of more interesting sort of textures and soundscapes and everything that these artists tend to be more interested in. But uh, Midair Thief, he very much plays the the folk aspect of his sound straight. Um, the one part where I kind of was let down by this is actually in the uh, or on the album's sort of centerpiece track or what I would position as the centerpiece track, uh, Crumbling Together, um, which is a 10 minute track or roundabout there uh, anyway, nine, nine minutes, 30 seconds, which uh, focuses heavily on the folk aspect of his sound. And I found to just be kind of dreary by the end of it. Um, it, uh, it reminds me of a uh, florist track almost, but just extended to be, you know, her tracks usually run uh, around about four minutes. This one, like I said, was nine and it just overstayed its welcome a tad for me. Uh, I'm sure if I spoke Korean, it would be a very, it's, it sounds like a very emotional track, like a very emotionally poignant track, but I was getting precious little out of it as a non-speaker. Uh, myself. Um, and after this point in the album, I thought that it did uh, drag a little bit toward the back half. Um, it was not quite as uh, sort of bubbly or uh, aesthetically ambitious, I guess, as I found the first uh, four tracks to be. Although I found um, Protector, I, the drop on Protector, I really enjoyed uh, as well. But uh, the last couple of tracks, as well as Crumbling Together, I found to be a little bit of a sort of, I, I hesitate to use the word letdown. It's still very, very pleasant listening music, but it, uh, it didn't grab me as much of, as the rest of the record did. Yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from there. Uh, and that's kind of a sentiment that I echo as well in my own opinions on this album. It's like... Uh, very not really like front loaded but i really prefer the front half of this album uh and then like you said pretty much crumbling together ends up uh at least by the end of the track kind of just feeling long and a little bit tedious and just kind of like not interesting enough to warrant its nine and a half minute runtime um and I start to, I found when I listen to this album, I do start to lose focus uh, towards the end of it. Like the first four songs, I'm really like locked into what's happening with the music and it's really exciting to listen to. And then uh, towards the end, I just start to like, my mind starts to wander a little bit and I can't focus as much as, uh, as I was at the beginning. Yeah, I, I feel that for sure. Like, especially though, to this album's credit, I think that it is really magnetic for those first uh, four or so tracks where I was like, the second that it, it's so, um, so smoothly transitioned into the electronic track uh, within the first song, um, Why, from the, from the folk sounds that it started with, I was instantly compelled and I, and it didn't lose me then until like the five minute mark mm -hmm. of, uh, of crumbling together. And it just never sort of got me back on track uh, after that. It's funny. It reminds me of um, <laughs> an American uh, folk album 
that I have very mixed feelings about um, Father John Misty's uh, Pure Comedy, which we've talked about before. It also mm-hmm. has a thing where the first four tracks, I think, are some of the best folk music of the last several years. And then there's, uh, I believe it's Leaving L.A. in that album, uh, the 10-minute song that is very sparse. And I, I am absolutely lost at that. And it never gets me back after that. I had a similar sentiment toward this album, weirdly enough. Um, so just a weird personal connection there, I mm-hmm. guess. But uh, this one, it, it makes me interested to see, because this is the only uh, mid Thief's second record that I've found in my limited research. Mm. Um, I don't know if he released a lot of other music uh prior to uh releasing under this under this name or not um i don't know if you have any insights to that um well he had one record under um he had the he had a stage name before that he had uh, so this is his third album technically Mm. um but his first album was under like a totally different name the second album was under uh, the name Public Morality, I believe. But then whenever he switched over to Midair Thief, the third name change, mm-hmm. he uh, kept that name with the same, like, self-titled. Like, it kept the same name, but then just, like, the artist switched to Midair Thief. Mm-hmm. But I'm not exactly sure what happened to his first album. Interesting. But in any case, he is still more... Uh... He's not as established of a presence as um, many other artists are. Mm-hmm. He's only three albums deep. Uh, so I am interested to see where he goes from here because I think that the genre combinations and um, sound play on this record are really extraordinary when they work. I just wish that it was something that he kept going and experimenting with throughout the um, runtime of the album. Uh, for me, I, and again, this is as. Uh, a non-Korean speaker I I feel like I am losing out it feels very much like a songwritery album toward the back half it becomes very lyrically Mm -hmm. focused um, at least to my ears it did and so I I worry on what I'm losing out on uh, by not looking into what he's actually saying uh, on these last couple of tracks they might be absolutely stunning <laughs> lyrically but i'm just not getting much out of them so from my perspective as a listener i would like to see him um incorporate uh that sound play into like a complete project um sometime in the future um it's it's also interesting because the sounds that he does incorporate uh into his work on this album reminded me at different points of like the kind of genre mashups I like from an artist like Gorillaz, who we've talked about before on this show. Um, although I felt that Midair Thief was pulling from a smaller array of sounds, which um, allowed him to sort of transform them and uh, create something new with them more holistically whereas a, a, an act like Gorillaz is always incorporating different sounds into their music. Um, so I found it to be at once more satisfying because I was like, I, I felt like he 
was grabbing at the genres he was playing at from or playing with from every angle and sort of combining them together in new and interesting ways uh, on each of the tracks that I did enjoy. But I do think that after a point, it sort of uh, runs out of steam. And I, I think I would like to see him incorporate more new sounds into his uh, upcoming works, you know? For sure. And uh, I kind of like, I definitely agree with that. Um, but it's really like, I'm kind of on the same page where I haven't, uh, looked into the lyrics of this album at all, despite having mm -hmm. been listening to it pretty consistently over the past eight months. Um, and I don't really have a reason why. I mean, I suppose mm -hmm. like I got the album and the one thing that I do appreciate was top shelf records that put it out and they didn't westernize it at all. Like the only translations on the album are on the spine where it mm. translates the Korean into the English for the title and the artist name. But like the lyric sheet is entirely in Korean. And so that didn't really help me in understanding <laughs> the lyrical yeah. content um, as I had maybe hoped it would, but also I'm like kind of happy they didn't uh, go out of their way to like Westernize the album. Um, but I think the big thing for me, and I, it sounds like it's probably the big thing for you too, is really just like the textural aspects of the record. And you mentioned earlier that it kind of at points sounds more uh, like experimental electronic. And mm. I think I attribute that to what you said as well, where it was like kind of atonal and not really focusing on pitches, but just the sounds and modulating them to get like a really cool texture and atmosphere throughout especially the beginning of this album yeah it's so like i i would hesitate because i i did say experimental for lack of a better term but i would hesitate to even say that because this album isn't really inaccessible at all to my ears it's very it's very pleasant throughout which is why i think it's all the more interesting that uh he does end up playing with with sounds like that so consistently and is still able to make them so listenable and so compelling and magnetic and everything uh, throughout the the at least again up until <laughs> up until around the uh, the, the halfway point. Um, although I, I did uh, something of note was uh, I listened to this record through my uh, my speaker, my little like portable speaker that I have. I'm not mm -hmm. going to name brands. I'm not sponsored by anyone. Um, but uh, I think that it, to listen to this album through a, like, a good pair of headphones would be a, a transformative experience. This is an album that I feel like you can really fully get lost in if you're paying attention to the sounds throughout. Um, which is so interesting because it can equally be as good as... Uh, or. or as good when treated as just sort of background music. Like I could easily see going over to someone's house for like a dinner or something and it's just playing. It's like, oh, this is very lovely. Um, but if you are intent on focusing into it, I think there is a lot here to gain uh, from a uh, really thorough listen. And, and it is an album that I fully plan on, on revisiting in the future with that in mind. 
Yeah, headphones is definitely, I realize, my favorite way to listen to this album. Because uh, even if you're, like, listening on speakers, that kind of space, uh, you lose a little bit of the textural qualities of the sounds. Um, and it jumps around your head a lot, too, which is really fun uh, for a headphone listen. One of my favorite qualities in a good headphone album. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, like you said too, it's super accessible. This is uh, one of the albums that I will throw on in the car if I'm with my mom and I'm like, oh, I need to play something that she's not going to complain about. Um, but, oh, I had an idea and I totally forgot where I was going. <laughs> um, classic. Classic. Um, but yeah, like one of the most interesting things that I find about this album, especially on uh what i think would be my favorite song uh which is the second track these chains um is how much the song shifts focus but never sounds jumpy or like it's totally uh like incoherent uh because i think that song it's only five minutes long and there's like three different very distinct sections oops, three very distinct sections in that song, which is just kind of crazy that they do that in a five minute song without sounding incoherent. Yeah, that, that is something that I definitely picked up on. Like the, the transitions throughout this album um, within single tracks, I think are immaculate. Like in that, in that track, uh, in the first track as well, the, the tracks that do a lot of moving, I was always... And and that's what made it so compelling is that I was always surprised as to how different it got without ever, it was like a magic trick almost. Like it felt like, oh, okay, I'm following (laughs) you the whole time. I'm somewhere entirely different now and I don't know how this happened. Um, And uh, it's interesting as well in my notes, I said uh, during the third track that I couldn't tell you any of the instruments that are being played right now. (laughs) Like I don't know what is making these sounds anymore because it does just transition into multiple different stylings of music so so smoothly that like and and there will be sometimes where um something will start out as like very clearly an acoustic guitar and then the sounds will warp in such a way where i'm like i don't know if this is still the raw audio just transformed or if it's like something entirely new playing the same melody it it was really incredible um and, and like i said that was the kind of aspect where i've not heard that done so well on an album put out in the past 10 years where I can see this easily being uh, within someone's best of the decade list. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And like going along with that, uh, not really knowing what instrument it is and like that warping of reality almost, this album really to me uh, kind of ends up sounding just like a fairy tale or like make-believe or uh, the sonic equivalent of like a Disney ride where it's like, it feels like I'm in Candyland and it's just like, everything is just uh happy and bubbly and just purely joyful and whatever this magical music is just complements the entire experience. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to me that you say that specifically because uh, it, this album, for as 
synthetic as it as it is sometimes it never felt like to me overly overly plasticky or overly mm-hmm. saccharine uh, like a lot of the sort of pc music camp can get uh and, and that's why i found it so interesting as well because it does definitely it is very bubbly uh mm-hmm. you know pleasant <laughs> uh <laughs> just sort of nice sounding music but it doesn't uh go to the point where i would i would compare it to a a sort of disney ride to me it's more like a just like a nice sunny day you know what i mean like i'm in Mm. a i feel like the album uh art is something that matches it really well you're it's very sort of blurry uh it's a it's a very sort of blurry picture of of a man on a very peaceful coastline who is nearly uh imperceivable uh compared to the blue sky in the background which takes up a, a lot of the cover it's just very peaceful and very serene but also a little sort of mysterious uh and that is the exact vibe that i get from this album it's very peaceful very serene but also a little mysterious <laughs> <laughs> just a little something that uh makes it uh, again that it gives it that sort of incomparable quality to my ears well, with that, let's go ahead and uh, we can wrap up with some closing thoughts. Yeah, um, I'm very glad that I listened to this album. The first, like I said, four tracks, I think, are absolutely incredible. Um, and I think that if it kept up that momentum, it would easily be one of the favorite albums that I've heard uh, this year anyway, um, of all of the music that I've listened to this year. Uh, but... It it loses me a little bit toward the end, just like a little bit too much. It's still a listen that I would recommend to basically anyone looking to expand their palette, um, especially if, like me, I, I tend to uh, not get out of the English-speaking uh, realm of music as much as I would like to. Um, and so this was a very pleasant listen and a very good introduction, I think, to this uh, style of music. Um, I do hope that in the future Midair Thief um, does do some more consistently interesting things with uh, his sound, but uh, I also have faith that he definitely will. He does not sound like the sort of artist to be content in one lane after listening to this project. Awesome. Well, what song are you uh, going to pick to listen to here? Um, I'm actually going to pick your favorite, which was also my favorite. Uh, <laughs> too, uh, These Chains, which I didn't talk about a whole lot, but it is just a, an absolutely lovely track. Uh, and I think that the people at home will enjoy it quite a bit. Perfect. Well, here is These Chains by Midair Thief on U92 The Moose. We'll be right back uh, to talk about Tallahassee by The Mountain Goats. Just 
Welcome back to Say Something Nice, uh, where this time we are talking about the album Tallahassee by the Mountain Goats, which I suggested to Anthony. Uh, and we'll just get right into that. A little bit of background. Um, Tallahassee is the seventh studio album by the Mountain Goats. It was their second release of 2002, following their cult classic All Hail West Texas. It's uh, notably different from any other Mountain Goats records released up until that point uh, by being recorded entirely in studio and being released by the prominent indie label 4AD. Uh, most of their earlier releases were uh, put out by smaller labels like Ajax or Shrimper or Emperor Jones, uh, all of which uh, were sort of close with the, the band uh, and otherwise, uh, you know, quite small, not, not uh, having the same level of influence as the label 4AD. Um, it was also notably different because it featured consistent backing instrumentals. Uh, usually most GOATS releases up until that point were made up of some uh, studio recordings, but mostly uh, solo recordings done by Darniel within his home. Uh, this album brought on frequent collaborators, Peter Hughes, who still acts as the current Mountain Goat bassist to this day, and Franklin Bruno. And the record as a whole was produced by uh, Michael Ivins of The Flaming Lips. Um, but with all of that out of the way, uh, we can get into a little more of the concept behind this record here in a bit. But Anthony, in general, what did you think of this album? Um, in one word, which was the word that I think showed up the most in my notes, uh, I would say this album was pleasant. It was very... Uh, instrumentally i'll say it was yeah. pleasant instrumentally <laughs> and let me yeah. i need to make that distinction very quickly um but yeah i mean i had a i was just like laying out in in the shade while listening to this uh which the music ended up making a good making that a good vibe until i would hear the lyrics and like instantly be put down um, but I was happy that you recommended this to me. I don't know why I was like, for some reason, I was like dreading listening to this. And I don't like totally unreasonably. I had no reason to dread listening to this. I know absolutely nothing about the mountain goats, um, except people love all hell West Texas. I think there was like a, not to get off topic here, but there was like a weird, uh, compilation album where a bunch of artists just covered songs off of that. And they like, yeah, yeah, we can talk about that briefly if you want to. It came out uh, either 2019 or 2018. Um, it was called I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats. It was released uh, along with the podcast of the same name. Um, and yeah, it was just a full cover album of All Hail West Texas. They had artists like Laura Jane Grace, um, all others. Oh, Mothers. Mothers did a track for, on that as well as uh, Abibio Sound Machine. That's how I found uh, out about it, I think, was the Mothers track. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, a lot of the other artists are escaping me right now, but it had a, a pretty high profile um, sort of guest list on it. For sure. Um, yeah, so that was my first like actual, not even introduction to the Mountain Goats. I think I had heard the Mothers track off of that. And I was like, oh, this is nice. But that was about as far as I got. And I didn't actually listen to the album. So this was my first real Mountain Goats experience, uh, which seems like a bit of an, uh, an anomaly up until this point, at least in their catalog, from the way that you described it, both this week and, uh, quote, last week. Um, 
but it was a really enjoyable experience. Kind of reminded me uh, back to that AJJ record you had me listen to, the people who can eat people are the luckiest people in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good go on the title. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit, uh, although less high energy. Um, but I think where the comparisons start and stop would be like the instrumental palette to an extent, um, the singer's voice and uh, the way that he decides to tackle some of these topics uh, where it's kind of like that super uh, classic, like deadpan darkness of indie folk that kind of seems like a trope of the genre a little bit at this point, uh, which is something I want to get into with this album in general. Um, I'm not very aware of what the indie folk scene was like around this time or even now, aside from like the classic like Phoebe Bridgers uh, type beat artists. Yeah. But like, I feel like, um, so I'm not certain if this album and Mountain Goats in general kind of started a lot of things that are now considered cliches in the genre or if they were kind of feeding into those cliches at the time because I know I feel like it's definitely like a kind of classic uh sounding record for this period in time uh thinking of like kind of maybe you can yell at me if you want to like maybe some like bright eyes or like neutral milk hotel or something I think those are very apt comparisons um I I think there was I wouldn't say that one act from around then drew inspiration directly from another. It was kind of, they were all of the same mm-hmm. scene, which is real, really interesting because I think now looking on them retrospectively, um, like acts like the Mountain Goats uh, get put into a different category than act like Bright Eyes, which gets put into a different category than act like Neutral Milk Hotel. But uh, I do think that they, from an indie perspective and from like a singer-songwriter perspective, were all sort of very inspired by one another. Um, And speaking on the sound of indie folk at the time, uh, in 2002, you had big records from Bright Eyes. Uh, Bright Eyes had uh, Lifted or Story is in the Soil uh, from that year. And also uh, the Decemberists put on an album in 2002, I believe. Um, So sort of that's where the state of indie folk was for sure. And I, I remember that this album was decried at the time by some for sort of playing into the stereotypical indie sound too much. Uh, I think uh, the Pitchfork review raises some of those complaints, uh, which I think, I mean, kind of skipping ahead, I guess, into some of the critical reception of this record. It's somewhat fair because compared to like an all hail west texas which is so unique in that it is just an album that was recorded with guitar and boombox uh <laughs> it it this is a, a huge leap uh, into a different direction so i understand how if you were a fan at the time and liked what they were doing with the the more primitive direction that they that they had taken things you could feel sort of blindsided by a record like this but um i think it's a record whose more unique qualities have become more apparent in recent years um, as sounds have kind of 
come and gone, and that is no longer the sound most associated with just sort of capital I in the music, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but despite being recorded in a studio, I still really appreciate how uh, minimal like a lot of these compositions are because it gives everything space to breathe in a really nice way. Uh, you don't feel bombarded with... Uh, musical information which allows you to take in the lyrics a little bit more which are of course articulated very well and mixed very front and center uh, which is why uh, I kind of want to let you talk about the um, concept behind this record a little bit more because I well I was able to like pick out individual lyrics I definitely like wasn't sitting down and focusing enough to really get like a theme out of it too much. Yeah, so it's interesting. This is uh, sort of uh, in the Mountain Goats uh, discography, the beginning of a trilogy or a quadrilogy, depending on who you ask, of, uh, of themed albums. Um, this one focuses specifically on the uh, Alpha Couple, which um, were a sort of dysfunctional couple of, of married folk uh, who John Darniel had written several songs about dating back to some of his early earliest Mountain Goats releases, um, nicknamed the Alpha Couple because most of the songs uh, which focused on them uh, had the word Alpha in their title. And this track, or in this album, as sort of a nod to that, ends with the track uh, Alpha Rat's Nest. Um, and uh, this album sort of is their last hurrah. They have not appeared in the music of the Mountain Goats since then. Um, most alpha songs involve just sort of this dysfunctional couple reinstating their uh, hate-love-hate sort of relationship. And I think this album uh, as a whole delves into that more deeply than uh, many of the other tracks had before. Um, and that's what the entire record is about. Each one sort of takes on a different aspect of their relationship. Um, I, I say that it's interesting as a concept record because most concept records sort of follow a storyline. Um, this one, or, or at least uh, concept records revolving around characters follow some sort of storyline, usually. This one doesn't have much of a storyline. Uh, it's very bare bones. These, this couple moves to a house in Florida uh, and eventually burn it down. Uh, that is the entire <laughs> the entire plot, as it were. But largely, most of these songs, instead of focusing on specific actions, uh, focus deeply on the emotional emotional turmoil that these characters seem to be perpetually in, um, which I think makes it stand out among the also uh, crowded space uh, of sort of uh, rock operas and, and concept records that was, that was ever prevalent in the early 2000s. Yeah, definitely. I like that. Um, and I mean, I was able to, now that you mentioned that, the first song that I thought of uh, when you were going over what the Alpha Couple was, um, the first song that popped into my mind was No Children, the yeah. seventh track on here. Um, and right around the uh, midway point as well. And that's the f- song that I initially had picked out as like the classic deadpan darkness that is 
indie folk and also reminds me a lot of AJJ just that kind of mm. similar writing style there um and no children specifically is kind of just like airing all of the grievances that you have with your partner and uh saying I hope you die I hope we both die I hope I cut myself shaving tomorrow and just kind of like really going down a dark hole of uh hatred and dread for your own life and the life of your partner um which is some dark stuff but the song is fun to listen to it's a nice uh that's one of the more upbeat ones on the album if i remember correctly <laughs> yeah yeah definitely it's it's one of the more energetic tracks yeah uh, the word for it. It, it occupies such an interesting space because um a way i saw it described i think in an npr article when i was doing my research was it takes you just up into the point of catharsis. Uh, it doesn't ever quite get there. <laughs> it, so it kind of languishes in this, in this uh, sort of misery. But then it's interesting because this song has, has very much become a fan favorite, which is why I think mm. it's funny that it's the first one that you've pointed out. Uh, it, so the catharsis then comes during these live performance when there's mm. an in, entire audience screaming, <laughs> I hope you die. I hope we both die. Um, <laughs> And it's an interesting song, I think, in the canon of the Mountain Goats, too. It's one of the most blunt, uh, especially of the, the studio generation of, mm-hmm. of uh, Mountain Goats tracks, a lot of which are, tend to be more uh, subtly uh, put uh, or, or uh, in any case, um, said bluntly in such a way that uh, it doesn't over-dramatize to the extent that No Children does. No Children mm. is, a, is a hyper-emotional song. Definitely. I definitely kind of get that feeling as well with a lot of these songs. Um, and I enjoy a lot of the writing on this. It's really um, detailed, uh, very literary, and kind of uh, maybe to an excess begs you to look deeper and like really study the lyrics. Um, but like for a fan of the Mountain Goats, especially and this album, like that's going to be something that's going to bring you so much joy is going through this album again and again, looking at the lyrics and really digging through what they mean and just really like looking at, uh, you said it was Darnell. So yeah. Darnell's like word choice uh, and just everything that goes along with his writing because uh, it's definitely lyric focused, which you get immediately from uh i don't want to say how loud the vocals are mixed but how present they are and how forward they are like there's no way to not notice the vocals and the lyrics on this album yeah the mountain goats have always been a band that have sort of lived and died by the uh by the lyrics they are um and it's because i think due in part to the fact that the only uh definitive member throughout the years has been John Darniel. Mm. Um, up until recently, the band has, uh, as far, I think, uh, 2008, they put out their first record with their, their modern lineup and it has not changed since then. But uh, going back into the, into the back catalog, John Darniel has been the only consistent member. So that's the only person that you're ever consistently mm. hearing from through these records. So I think that is what um, solidifies him so uniquely as a songwriter and and helps him stand out from the 
other uh, singer-songwriters of his class, um, someone like, you know, like a Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes, who mm-hmm. um, was generally always with a band and a, and a group of artists in spite of his very unique songwriting. Uh, John Darnielle had that unique songwriting as well as being the only member of the band uh, throughout <laughs> long, long swaths of their career. Mm. Um, so it really it, it has canonized uh, his work in a very interesting way, um, for better and for worse, because mm-hmm. uh, you can get those fans who develop too close of an attachment to specific songs or, or misinterpretations of specific mm-hmm. songs. There have been songs that he's retired um, in recent years. Uh, because of those misinterpretations and, and everything. Uh, so it, it is really interesting how, how that turns out, um, especially in his, his earliest work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I'm glad that you say that it's kind of like both a strength and a weakness, because that's also something that I wanted to get into uh, with one of my, not even like issues of this album. Um, but like I said, it was almost to a fault that it kind of, like begs you to look into the lyrics a little bit more. And what I'm really getting at there is that I think it kind of falls into maybe like for me, one of the biggest cliches of like folk writing around this time where it's like a contest to see who can come up with like the most out there simile or metaphor in their lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i feel like i know what song you're gonna you're gonna bring up if you had a specific one in mind at all um well so what what made me write that down uh i think was uh, international small arms traffic blues yeah it's international small arms traffic blues <laughs> that's what made me write that down um because it's like that song especially is like if someone is making fun of early 2000s indie folk that's the kind of stuff that they write where it's like say something nice is like a small army going to war on a sunny beach and it's like (laughs) what are you talking like what are you talking about yeah (laughs) it's like um but I mean, it's really funny because literally two songs later in my notes, I just say, well, on that note, I really enjoy old college try and its similes. And so it's, yeah. like, it's really like, it's not even that the similes of international small arms traffic blues was, were like too out there or like, cause they're definitely the ones on this album that I at least picked out they're all still interesting and none of them make me go totally like, what are you talking about? And if they do, he immediately starts to like say something that like kind of brings it back to making sense yeah. enough that like, I go- don't. goes on to explain like, yeah. what, what on earth he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's not just like dropping similes and expecting you to like go figure it out. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so it's really, like, I don't know, I, I thought it was really funny. And I'm like, this kind of just sounds like if Fred Armisen was going to make a parody indie folk album. Yeah, I, I can understand that. 
there there would be a line dropped similar to uh our love is like the border between greece and albania which is a very (laughs) it's it's a much maligned lyric on this album Uh um but uh but yeah going into the album's ending i think the the final three tracks old college try uh, oceanographer's Mm -hmm. choice and alpha rat's nest are some of the strongest on here and i think it's the strongest ending maybe to any mountain goats record like i think those okay. last three tracks are uh are excellent mm-hmm. uh, a lot of mountain goats records toward the end sort of um fizzle out isn't isn't quite the right word but their strongest moments are, are rarely at the end mm-hmm. uh but i think here i think it ends on a perfect note uh, with those three songs um old college try is, is another one of my favorites for yeah. sure yeah and that was uh that is what kicked off like the very good end of the album i 100 percent agree with you there um alpha rat's nest for some reason felt really weird to me and i think it was just because it followed oceanographer's choice which yeah. was so high energy and then alpha rat's nest kind of put you back like into the middle of the album and it was just like a really weird kind of abrupt ending because the last it's shorter than the couple of songs before it and yeah. so it just feels like a kind of rushed ending. Um, I, I think on instrumentally, that track, I, I think instrumentally for sure, uh, it feels it can feel like kind of an anticlimax mm. um, coming off of Oceanographer's Choice, which I think is like the most epic, for lack of a better term, and mm-hmm. sprawling track on here. Um, but I think it works lyrically. I, I think because it is there are a lot of like sort of funny moments on this album and throughout most of the Mountain Goats work, uh, despite how dark it gets. And I think the way that it understates the ending, uh, the song, which um, uh, sort of uh, lyrically uh, paints the picture of of this couple literally Mm. lighting their house on fire and just kind of has this like sort of two minute little folk ditty to end things off. The understatement there I always found to be pretty humorous uh, and keeps the album from ending on too much of a sour note in Mm. spite of how the literal story ends. Right, and I mean, I just didn't pick up on that because of I, I wasn't able to dive super deep into the lyrics on this, uh, just because there was a lot to get into, and I just kind of listened to it. I wasn't looking at any lyrics whenever I listened to this. I made it a point to just kind of listen. Uh, yeah, and I think, think that that's totally fair. Yeah, it hurts my understanding of the story of the album, but it lets me just like kind of take in everything a little bit more instead of trying to hyper focus on lyrics. Right. And I, I think that Darniel is a good enough songwriter that like there will still be lyrical moments that, that stick out to you mm-hmm. uh, even past like focusing, hyper focusing yeah. on those lyrics. And I think uh, going on that, just to pull the one line and honestly, you probably already know what line I'm going to pull. Cause I feel like you might've put it somewhere, like posted it somewhere or something. I know I had recognized this line, like as soon as I heard it. Mm. Uh, and it's probably like one of the iconic lines from this album. Um, but people say friends don't destroy on one another. What do they know about friends? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like definitely one of the most like pointed moments on the album. Uh, and the first lyric that like really stuck with me. Uh, yeah. Giving this a listen. Um, but with that, I'm going to go ahead and get into a couple of closing thoughts here. Um, I think I enjoyed the songs that were a little bit lighter musically compared to the more electric ones, uh, with the exception of Oceanographer's Choice. I think a lot of the times uh, it was maybe like a little bit 
jarring almost, but also um, I just found them more interesting whenever they were a little bit lighter instrumentally, more acoustic based. Uh, and I think part of that was because of the way it's arranged, there were a lot of more interesting arrangement choices uh, and kind of like, like almost like a classical, like Bach, like counterpoint kind of stuff that would shine through. That was just really interesting to hear like the super melodic bass lines or something, uh, the way that it would play with both the vocals and like the guitar parts. Um, but with that, I also really appreciate uh, and love how minimal instrumentally this album is. Uh, like I said earlier, it kind of gives a lot of space uh, and allows you to focus on the lyrics and really appreciate what each individual instrument is doing because there's only like three, maybe a maximum of four instruments on any given song. Um, and it just creates like a atmosphere that's not totally intimate, but it's super open and just like nice to listen to. Um, and I think uh, something that kind of played into my enjoyment of this album, I think I had a good, uh, good environment that I was in. I was laying in a hammock with a nice uh, wheat-based adult beverage. <laughs> uh, and it, it was a good, uh, without, without getting too much into the darker context of the lyrics, uh, that made for a very pleasant listen, uh, except when the lyrics kind of snatched me out of that. But I'm very excited. I will be returning to this album uh, to kind of... Uh, dive more into the story that you uh, keyed me on to here. Um, but this is a good album. Like, I'd recommend this to anyone who's into any of folkers, folkier stuff. If you listened to that AJJ record earlier and enjoyed it, I think you'll really enjoy this too. Um, if And if you're a fan of those other bands that we mentioned, like Bright Eyes and Nutrimilk Hotel, and you haven't listened to this album, I think you'd really enjoy it. Uh, but anyone who's into like just kind of the modern indie scene, I think would really enjoy this because like that uh, compilation said, all I listen to is the mountain goats. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, current indie musicians who probably owe a lot to uh, Darniel and yeah, I, I think you can trace the you, you can trace the inspiration of uh, an album like this specifically as this was like their first big breakthrough album. Mm -hmm. So I think it definitely had had ripple effects on the on the modern indie scene, um, especially from a songwriting perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, off record, definitely check out uh, Julian Baker's uh, cover of "No Children" when you get a chance, Anthony. Okay. Because uh, it's absolutely lovely, and I know you've suggested her stuff to me before. Mm -hmm. um, In any case, <laughs> so before I'm going to have us listen to the song "Old College Try." Uh, mm -hmm. But before that, we've got to get into a couple of quick announcements. First of all, uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, we're going to not be recording or releasing anything new until uh, September 7th. I believe it's a Monday. We'll have a new slot. Uh, we'll be on at, is it 2 p.m.? I think 2 p.m. Yeah. Um, We'll be on 2 p.m. on Mondays. We might be re-airing some episodes later in the week, but that's something that uh, we'll have to get back to you on. So make sure you 
uh, keep focusing on our social media, Twitter and Instagram uh, at U92 underscore FM. Uh, and go ahead and uh, like us on Facebook too. We'll have some announcements there as well. Yeah. Uh, until um, until then, though, we also have all of our old episodes streaming right now on uh, u92themoose.com, the, the website for the station. So definitely go around and check those out if you, if you ever miss <laughs> our voice. <laughs> um, and with that, we will, uh, we're having a little bit of a special focus for our next episode since it's going to be a little bit of a break. Uh, we're covering some of our favorite albums of 2020. So what I'm going to go ahead and recommend Griffin is uh, the album Shall We Go On Sinning So That Grace May Increase by The Soft Pink Truth, who is, have you listened to that? No. No, I haven't, okay. but you're Good. lucky because I was supposed to, but then I didn't. <laughs> okay. I am lucky. I should have yeah. run that by you before, but yeah. you're going to listen to it now. Um, <laughs> yes. It's uh one half of Matmos. Don't ask me which member. I don't remember. Uh, but it's a nice little uh, ambient techno, uh, just like electronic album. It's very nice. Excellent. And, and on the completely different end of uh, the electronic spectrum, I'm going to recommend you the album Peaceful as Hell by the now defunct Black Dresses. Rest in peace. Miss them daily. Um. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Say Something Nice. We will see you in a little bit less than a month. Uh, We will miss you. I hope you miss us too. Uh, (laughs) But until then, thank you for listening uh, to us on U92 The Moose. Here is Old College Try by the Mountain Goats. We'll see you September 7th right back here. On U92 The Moose, 91.7 FM, College Radio, West Virginia, or online at U92TheMoose.com. From the housetops to the gutters, from the ocean to the shore, the warning signs have all been bright and garish, far too great in number to ignore. From the cities to the swamplands From the highways to the hills Our love has never had a leg to stand on From the aspirins to the crosstops to the Ellavilles But I will walk Down to the end With you If you will come All the way down With me From the entrance to the exit Is longer than it looks from where we stand I wanna say I'm sorry For stuff I haven't done yet Things will shortly get completely out of hand I can feel it in the rotten air tonight In the tips of my fingers In the skin on my face In the weak last gasp of the evening's dying light In the way those eyes I've always loved Illuminate this place like a trash can fire In a prison cell Like the searchlights In the parking lots of hell I will walk down to the end 